How you doing? Absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Me too. It's a great morning. Great day to worship the Lord. Um, it's really interesting to me uh, to, to, to do Bible as we do. By that I mean doing it line upon line, word upon word. But we went astray for a while. We, we, we started off in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, and Peter said, You wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husbands. And I, when I read that, I said, Oh, we better talk about marriage. We better understand what does that mean. Because if you hear the word submissive as a woman, a wife, that stings unless you understand the whole of what surrounds it. And so then he said in the seventh verse where we left off in First Peter, he says, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. And we learned that to be a farming term that, that we are to... As, a, as, a, as a, the husband and the family, we're to, to look at what God has given us as a family and we're to help our family, especially our wives, to flourish. And that, that, that takes many different turns. And so we tried to understand. We tried at least to go over what is a family, what does a, a husband and wife look like as far as God is concerned. And so we stopped. And, and I don't... We stopped the, the series on family last week. And I, I don't make plans. I'm not a good planner. I've I've always um, just flown by the seat of my pants, so to speak. And and it it always, almost always seems to work out. And so we come to this message today, and and I I open up my Bible, and and I started to study out of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. And I have to tell you, I got emotional over it. I think, I thought to myself, Lord, if I would have planned this, it couldn't have been any better. And I want to be honest with you. I love the fact that I am not a planner. I love the fact that I trust in God to lead. Because over all of these years I've been in ministry and and especially all the years that the Lord God has given me the privilege to teach, privilege to teach His Word, I've watched Him move always in a succinct way over what we are doing as a church family. And I'm convinced it's not an accident. I'm convinced that God, if we will be obedient to Him, will lead us. Now, I, I do not steer away from anyone who has leadership qualities. In fact, we need it within the church. I'm just not one of those people. But watch what God does. Here we are, having you and me pray over these three men as they've become now elders of our church. If in fact in the next couple of weeks we don't receive something that says, "Uh, I know this guy and you shouldn't have him as an elder. But if in fact, what we are doing is promoting these men in this position, we come to a place where Peter says, verse 8, look, to sum up, when I saw those three words, I thought, whoa, to sum up what? You see, when you're studying or you're reading the Bible, just don't read through it so quickly that you don't even hear what the Lord is saying to you. So what 
Peter is saying, but actually Lord is saying through Peter, is to sum up what he has been talking about previously. And then he says, look, verse 8, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, nor insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. When I read these words, I wanted to study verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. I couldn't. Because of what took place this morning and because what the Lord God seems to be doing in our midst. We have just called three men to be elders of our church. But the fact of the matter is, Peter says, to sum up what we've talking about, I want all of you, that's what he's saying in verse 8, I want all of you to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. I want you all to be humble in spirit. That's a call to us. What, what is taking place here to me is so magnificently beautiful that Peter, we as a church, as we study through the Bible, have come to this place at this time to talk about the character traits of not only the three men we just have called, actually the Lord has called, but all of us. To sum it up, that all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. The church has a purpose. What we do, there is a reason, in my heart at least. And that is to help you and me grow in our faith. That's, that's, that's the, to me, that's the, the ultimate reason for church. Is that by the grace of God, by a somehow, some way, I would watch your life and you would watch my life grow as a believer in Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't stay stagnant. We wouldn't be apathetic. Uh, we would be excited about our faith. And that's what is happening here. And that's my, that's kind of my uh, desire. It's what I live for. To help you grow in your faith. First and foremost, myself. That I be the man that God's called me to be. Can't do it without studying the Word of God. Impossible. And so we teach it in that way. We teach it in that fashion so that it, it goes line upon line so that we see what is God saying to me. And here we go, introducing these men. And the Bible says to us at this particular time, you know, some other pastors would have to search through the Scriptures. How am I going to preach to the elders? What am I going to say about the elders? We don't do that. We don't have to. He does it. We've got an idiot leading us, but the Lord God's leading the idiot. It's perfect. I hope you heard that. I said, I said we got an idiot leading us, but we got the Lord God leading the idiot. That, that's, I didn't want you to miss that part. And so he brings us to this place. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Let's see how you 
not just the elders. How do you line up with these traits? Me too. You see, in reality, these traits that we just read here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, are not just for a chosen few elders and staff people that happen to take care of a church. No, it should be the desire, the goal, the purpose of each and every single one of us to come to church to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, let's start with prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for, for Bruce, his wife, Tony. Thank you for Russ, his wife, Kathy. Doug, his wife, Kathy. And Dave, his wife, Joni. Thank you for these men. But Lord, we thank you as a church for, for this, this body of believers. If we really, we really understand what you're trying to say, Lord, we would all have the character traits of, a, of an elder. We would all have a desire to serve you, to be spiritually sound, and to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we're trying to do that here, so we, we, we read your Bible. We read it through line upon line so we don't miss anything and, and so we don't try to duck and hide and, and just do those popular verses that uh, would make us look good or whatever. We try to honor you by reading through the very word that you gave to us. I believe it's very important we do this. And so would you open up our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things that come from your law. And Father, would you move me aside so that I don't interfere with what you want to say to every single person here. And then, Father, and then, would you help us to become more and more conformed into the image of your Son. From the young people here to us who are older. Let none of us miss this wonderful call upon our lives to be men, women, young boys and young girls who walk with you. I pray this, Father, in the most precious name that I know, and that is of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, we've learned in, what we've learned in the last few weeks, to sum up, to sum up, what has Peter been teaching us? The... the, the to sum it up, we are to maintain a clear testimony in this unbelieving world in which we live. We must show the world our living, loving faith in Jesus Christ. To this point, Peter showed us three areas. Very, very clearly, to sum up, he showed us three areas where that is to take place. First and foremost, let me say this. You, this needs to be heard because it's not said often enough in a pulpit. There is a price to be paid in following Jesus Christ. Every one of us need to know that. That's a point that is seldom taught from the pulpits. I, I don't want you ever, ever to forget that. Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, the one who does not take up his cross and follow after me, Jesus says. That person, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. That's pretty harsh words. Take up your cross, follow our Lord, 
Not to do so is not to be worthy of Him, He says. In that same book, Matthew, the 16th chapter, the 24th verse, Jesus said to His disciples, meaning us, those who follow Him, He says, If any of you wish to come after Me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow Me. There's a call in your life and my life as a believer. Too many so-called Christians choose to follow Jesus Christ only as their time permits. I call them part-time Christians. We all know who they are. We've all heard the excuses of them. You know, they, you can hear them say, well, God must know how busy I am and how exhausted I am when it comes to weekend." He realizes it's my time to rest. I'll catch church next week. I'm really tired today. I'll read my Bible later on. Right now, I'm, I'm really tired anyways. There's a big game today. He must know that. <laughs> I, can do, I can do what I have to do after the barbecue. Family's having a barbecue. I, I'll catch up with him later on. You name the excuse. I've heard them all. So have you, if you question anybody about their faith. By the way, whenever you come to church, don't you dare tell me you're sorry you couldn't make it last week. I don't keep track of you. I've got enough, <laughs> I've got enough trouble of my own. And this is not a message to try to make you feel uh, guilty unless the Lord makes you feel guilty. I'm not. I don't keep chart. I, I keep chart of me. I, I got an, I'm enough trouble on my own. You know, it's not supposed to be like this I'm exhausted type of an attitude. I, I'll catch church later. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and soul, you've been called for a purpose. Every one of us. We are to be, to sum up, we are to be a living witness in the society in which we live. Let's see, what is Peter summing up? Look at chapter 2. Look at it, please. And look at verses 13, starting with verse 13. He says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He is talking about the society in which we live out there. We are to submit ourselves to this, this ungodly world in which we live whether it's to a king as to one in authority, or to even governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Verse, verse 15, summing up, such is the will of God, that by doing right, you might silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's a purpose you have in life in the society in which we live, but there's also a purpose in your life where you work. Take a look what Peter said to sum up concerning our workplace. Look at the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, he says, that's talking about employers. Be submissive to your masters. Be submissive to those who are over you. He says, with all respect, still in verse 18, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. This finds favor. Verse 19, If for the sake of conscience towards God a man bears up under sorrows when he's suffering unjustly, what credit is there, he says in verse 20, if when you sin and you're harshly treated, 
You endure that with patience. What, what good is that, he says? Rather, he says, in the middle of verse 20, when you do what is right and you suffer for that and you patiently endure that, that finds favor with God. Verse 21. Remember verse 15? Look at verse 21. You've been called for this purpose. Verse 15. For such is the will of God. Verse 21, you've been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in His steps. The third thing that Paul want, Peter wanted to sum up was our relationship with our families, our husband and wife relationship. The way we demonstrate the love of a husband towards his wife and his wife towards her husband is a demonstration to the world that Paul wrote in Ephesians uh, a mystery that is great, but he was speaking with reference to Jesus Christ and the church. The way our marriages are handled by those of us who trust in Christ is a reflection of our Lord and Savior to the people we come in contact with. So, if you go back to chapter 3 and verse 8, Peter says, to sum this up, here's your attitude as you be a witness for Christ. Look back at chapter 2 just for a moment. Look at verse 9. I love this verse. It says, You are a chosen race. You, he says, are a royal priesthood. You, he says, are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. Why? Watch what he says the rest of this verse. Verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Stop and think for a moment. Think about all that Jesus Christ has done for you. He has taken you out of darkness, which is hell, and brought you into His marvelous light, which is heaven. What more can you ask? So why do we live like verses 8 and 9 in 1 Peter chapter 3? Clearly, so as to proclaim Jesus Christ in this secular, satanic world that we live in. And it's simple to grasp why. We do this to silence the critics of our Savior and our faith. That's a, that's a large responsibility. That's not just an elder's job. That's not just a pastor's job. That's, that's, that's everybody in this church's job. If you look again at chapter 2, I'm sorry to always make you refer back to it, but he's summing up what was said in chapter 2, Peter is. And so he says in chapter 2, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In other words, among those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Those are the Gentiles. Why? So that in the thing which they slander you as an evildoer, they may because of your good Deeds as they observe them. Stop there for a moment. People are watching you. If you proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, they're watching you and me, and they're hoping beyond hope that we mess up so that they could say, Aha! You want me to be like you? Look what you just did. Happens all the time. But as they observe them, the end of verse 12, 
so that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation is the second coming when He's come to judge the earth. In other words, so that they see you and me, accept what we believe, so they, rather than be, be, be afraid of that day of judgment, they are glorifying God in it because of the testimony that you and I have given. Look at verse 15, same chapter, chapter 2. Such is the will of God. We read this just a while ago. The will of God, amazingly, you and I can walk in the will of God today that by doing what is right, that's our purpose for living, we might silence the ignorance of those who are fools. The Bible says in Proverbs, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Peter's saying, our job to sum it up is to reach these people in our workplaces, in our society, through our marriages. So after speaking about our attitude in the world, the workplace, in our marriages, Peter now asks us to do something that is of pure joy. It should be. And that is to show Jesus Christ off where we live spiritually. In other words, within our church, with, with our brothers and sisters in the faith. There ought to be no place that you and I come to during this week that is more safe more a place that we long to get to than the church, where we, where we encourage one another and, 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 and just be in a, I want to use the word encourager again, just to reach out and to embrace everybody. This place ought to be a safeguard for you and me in this terrible, busy hubbub of a world that we live in. There ought to be a place that we can come to that we are safe with one another. If ever, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, we're going to put it up on the screen. If ever, if ever that, those two verses are invaluable, it is here within our lives, within our church, as we display our faith in Christ with one another. It says, do nothing, nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than you do your own self. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but looking out for the interests of one another. That's what church should be like. That's what we're hoping to, to make this place like, this church, a safe haven for families so that your young your, your children can come here and you know they're being taught about the Lord and you know they're being cared for with tender, loving care. As you sit here and hopefully the the pastor of the church is treating you with tender, loving care so that we can all grow in our faith together. And so back in 1 Peter 3.8, when Peter says to sum it up, he is tying all of these things that I've just tried to explain to you together. We show Jesus off to this unbelieving world in which we live, to our, our place of work and through our marriages. And how do we show Him off? What do we do? He says, I want all of you, not just the elders, not just the staff. I want all of you to be five things. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, tender-hearted, humble in spirit. It's a wonderful place to, to begin just after we have um, laid our hands upon the, the wonderful men that God has brought here as elders. But really, this call is to every single one of us, you and me and them. 
Peter's not speaking to just a select few of people. He's speaking to you and, and you and me. I want to ask you a question. I thought about it while I was studying. It's a silent question. By that I mean I don't want you to answer this out loud. I want you to think it over in your heart. Answer it there. And the question is simple. Why are you here? Why are you here? Now, I don't necessarily mean why are you in this church? No, no. I'm asking why are you in church as a whole? Why have you come to church? What is, you, what is your purpose? What do you desire to accomplish here in these four walls? You know what I find about church and people? I find that too many people come to church trying to get from God rather than give to God. Have you become a, a giver or a getter? Which? When is the last time you came to church to purely, purely, purely Worship the Lord. And to allow Him to know how much you love Him. And to give to Him whatever it is that He has required from you. When is it the last time you come to church ready to worship? When I was writing that out, I, I remembered an incident in my life. One of the guys that I was discipling as a Ram football player back when the Rams were here in Los Angeles... Actually, they were in Anaheim. And uh, his name was George Andrews, one of my heroes. Um, I, love the, I love that young man. I was going to call him a kid. He's growing up and almost now going to be a grandpa. Mm. Anyways, um, he, and, he practically lived in our home. He uh, came over. We'd, he'd eat with us, play with the kids. My doggone daughter called, said the name George before she said dad. True. George. No, Dad! George. He gave me a, a cassette. I, I encouraged him to go to Chuck Swindoll's church. I, I was a real fan of Chuck Swindoll. I loved Chuck. And if I could get any of the athletes to go to a church, it would have been his. I wasn't pastoring a church at that time. I was just doing ministry with, with the athletes. And so my, my, my ministry was to get them to come to Christ, to get them to walk with Christ, and to get them involved, involved, involved in a good Bible teaching church and not just going to church but moving chairs doing everything that everybody else did to make the church function and so George started going to Chuck Swindoll's church and he, he came over and he says man I bought this tape for you he, his message last week was phenomenal you've got to hear it so he gave me this cassette tape remember those things that was right after right after 8-tracks came the cassettes and so he, had, he gave me this cassette and, and I I, I could put it in my car and listen to it. So I was going to do ministry, working with the Dodgers, and I was driving to L.A., and so I figured I had time to listen to the tape. So I put it in there, and there was traffic, and people were coming in and out. and I was cutting people off, and they were cutting me off. And, you know, we were driving, as, as we do here in California, to, to L.A. And I'm listening to this tape, and I'm thinking, what does he think of This tape's terrible. You know, it's terrible. Why do you like it so much? 
So a couple of days later, he said, have you ever listened, have you listened to the tape? I, I said, yeah, George. I said, you know, to tell you the truth, it wasn't all that. He said, may I ask you a question? He said, uh, when you listened to it, what was your attitude? Well, I'm supposed to be discipling him. This is not, that wasn't a good... <laughs> I said, well, to be honest with you, it was terrible. I was on the freeway and it was, it was a mess. So do me a favor. Come and listen to this tape when you're ready to have God minister to you. This is a guy that I discipled, folks. I was so proud and so angry, both at the same time. <laughs> so I did what he suggested, and it was one of the best tapes I've ever heard, one of the best messages I've ever heard. You know what was the difference between that time and when I was in my car? It was my attitude. It was, was, I, was I really willing to hear from God, or was I just giving Him a, a portion of my time How do you handle coming to church? Are you giving them a portion of your time? Or is this a time to come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ? I know, I can hear you. I can hear you. You're saying, John, stop meddling. You're supposed to be preaching. Okay, I won't meddle. I'll just leave that with you. So what is Peter saying here in verse 8 of chapter 3? He is saying that all believers are to live harmoniously together, maintaining a common commitment to the truth of the Word of God that produces unity in our hearts with one another. For instance, what Paul said in Philippians, you know, I, I have you memorize, or I want you to memorize, or think, at least get to know Philippians 2, 3, and 4. But what leads up to Philippians 2, 3, and 4, verses 1 and 2 are, are amazing. And by the way, that's my motive. Try to get you to understand the Word of God so that you see what's around it so you get enthralled by all of it. Because it's all wonderful. And in Philippians chapter 2, just before verses 3 and 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Paul writes, If there is, and the word if really means since, since there is any encouragement in Christ, since there is any consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, and since there is affection and compassion, then he says in verse 2, make my joy complete. How, Paul? He says, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Folks, that's in a nutshell what harmonious means. All of us being one together in Christ, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on the same purpose. The next word in verse 8, after harmonious, is sympathetic. It's basically the same thing. It, it, in the Greek, it's S-U-M-P-A-T-H-E-I-S. It's, it means sharing the same feelings. It's like reaching out and sharing feelings for other people. Let me give you the best example I know. It's in, in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus Christ is explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says in Matthew chapter 25, if you want to, you may please turn there, verse 34 to 40, it's like a parable. He says the king, in verse 34, will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of this world. 
Then he says these words in verses 25, 6, 7, 8, 9. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. Verse 36 says, I was naked, you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me, and I was in prison, and you came to me, he says. In verse 37, the righteous people will answer Jesus Christ, saying to him, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, verse 38, did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or naked and clothe you? In verse 39, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? When? When did we do this? We don't remember. In verse 40, the king answers and says to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. In a nutshell, that's sympathetic. Sharing the same feelings. Paul writes it this way. He says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. This is, this is Romans 12:15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Share the same feelings. Be sympathetic towards them. So there's harmonious and there's sympathetic. Next, Peter touches, teaches about being brotherly. Oh, this is the word of words. This is the word that Peter uses, the Greek word, P-H-I-L-A-D-E-L, P-H-O-I-A, meaning to love one another. Brotherly. It refers to an affection among people who are closely related in some way or another. We are closely related, you and me, because this is our church. You have become brothers and sisters in Christ to me. And that's, to me, no small thing. It's an important thing in my life. I was asked to memorize a verse. One of the first verses I was ever asked to memorize, it was in... In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment, Jesus is speaking, that I have for you. He says, I want you to love one another. You want to know how? He says, Even as I have loved you, so you should have love one for another. Here's the reason. By this, by the way you love one another, all people, he says, will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That's brotherly. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly. Fourth word, kind-hearted. That's an interesting word. I relate to it. Maybe you won't. Kind-hearted, it's a long Greek word. E-U-S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-O-I. It, at its root, it means your internal organs. At its root, it sometimes translates bowels or intestines thinking, wait, 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 wait. That's a little bit off base. No. Peter is, a, is a referring to an affection towards one another with a great internal impact in your emotions, in your feelings. Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He writes of his love and his feelings towards those he's ministered to. He says, I have such a fond affection for you I was well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also my life because you had become very dear to me. Have anybody like that in your life? Someone that 
that moves you to your innermost being, that place where it's hard to even express how much you care for them? Apart from family, I can tell you with all sincerity, you people are that to me. You move my soul. You help me to become a better man. You force me into the Word of God because I tell you everything I know today. I'm not ready for Easter yet. I have no idea what I'm going to preach. I'm figuring Easter will take care of itself. This is an important day to me because I get to be with you. You move my innermost soul. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. Finally, Peter mentions humble in spirit. I think uh, it's one long Greek word. I'm I'm not going to spell it out to you. It means humble-minded. Humility, arguably, is probably the most essential and all-encompassing virtue that we can have as believers in Jesus Christ. Humility, humble with one another. Peter says in the last chapter of this book, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, you younger men and women as well, by the way, be subject to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility, he says, towards one another, he says. Because, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, he says in verse 6, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Are you waiting upon something from the Lord? Let me tell you something. He will give it to you, but He won't give it to you until it's the proper time. He has that time just set for you to do whatever it is He's called you to do. It's a proper time. Humble yourself under His mighty hand. He'll exalt you at that proper time. Back on the screen, would you please put Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfishness nor empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let us regard one another as more important than we do our own self. The joy of your life, the joy of our lives, the joy of the life of the church and Christ Jesus is maximized when you and I, as believers in Christ, become brotherly, harmonious, sympathetic, kind-hearted all under the umbrella of humility. This church has got a long way to go. I can see it in my spirit's eyes. I can see what God's doing. I don't know His timing, but I see it. I don't know when, I see it. God's got great things for you and for me in this place. Let's all love them together. Let's all be like an elder. Let's carry on those character traits that help us be the people that God's called us to be. We're going to have prayer time up here.
there's anything. Listen, this is not a flippant statement. Please come and pray if you have, or leave a prayer request here. They would want to pray for you, and it will be private, and it is a major part of our church now that we pray for one another. Now from that, God bless you. What a beautiful day God has given us. Let's go and enjoy it. Honor Him and whatever it is you're going to do. Don't forget to have a lot of fun with the Lord. He wants to laugh with you. Enjoy Him. Enjoy one another. Father, I want to thank you for this time. Another week gone. Amazing. Weeks just fly by. Next week, Father, we get to celebrate the the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. First, we'll have Good Friday services, Father, and we'll center on the, what you did upon the cross for us. And then Easter, Saturday, and Sunday, we're going to celebrate a risen Savior. Lord, thank you for that. Now, bless us wherever you might take us, and thank you for the people of this church. God bless Bruce and Russ and Doug and Dave help them to spiritually lead this place in a very, very fine fashion, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.